Listener supported. WNYC Studios. We did a lot of, uh-huh. we did a couple of plays together, and we used to go to the O'Neill Playwriting Festival uh-huh. when we were younger and, and like, I didn't know you could have dogs in here. I know. It's, be a, as a long as dog. the dog's vaccinated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. When I still lived in New York, I frequently ate at a diner at the corner of 6th Avenue and Waverly Place in Manhattan, just a few blocks up from WNYC's offices. And I was back there a couple of weeks ago with Annabelle, one of our producers. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? Good. We're going to see three of us, um, but we're still waiting on our third person. Can we sit down or yeah. we wait? Yeah, but you're here about since Calvary. Vaccine cards weren't the only thing that was different than the last time I was here. Between the lines of booths are plexiglass barriers, and everyone working was wearing masks. But the restaurant did still have real menus instead of QR codes, those oversized diner kind, a dozen pages long or so, in plastic sleeves. Annabelle and I were at the Waverly Diner to meet actor Jay Smith Cameron. You may know her from the HBO show Succession. She plays Jerry general counsel for a multi-billion dollar media conglomerate who's the only adult in the conference room. She takes care of business while everyone around her acts like a maniac. In person, Jay comes off as warm and chatty and not even a little bit cutthroat. Hi. I'm so scared I'd be late. <laughs> How are you guys? Good. I'm Anna. Hi, Anna. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I'm so excited to do this with you. Yeah, me too. And I'm, I'm so curious why you why you picked me. Because you're interesting. <laughs> I'm so fascinated. Yeah. Jay lives in the neighborhood. We'd suggested meeting at the Waverly Diner after noticing she posted a picture of their egg cream on her Instagram. I think of that as a very New York thing to order. But Jay grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, and moved to Manhattan in her early 20s. She has spent her entire life since then performing. Before succession, Jay was on another critically acclaimed TV show, Rectify. But a lot of her work hasn't been on screen, but on stage, on and off Broadway, where the audience is right there, breathing the same air as her. All that went away with the pandemic. And that was a big part of what I wanted to talk with her about. What the last 18 months has been like for someone whose work depends on being around other people and how reentry's been going for her. And this was a reentry for me, too. This was one of my first in-person interviews since the pandemic. And you can tell that I was a bit anxious and overexcited. You'll hear me as we talk breaking in awkwardly, like a little terrier. You've been in this neighborhood for a long time. I have, yes. I've been in and out of this neighborhood from Uh the very beginning. My first apartment I moved in with a college chum Uh on Grove Street. Uh So she kicked me out because it was really not big enough for two people. And then um, I moved back for a while on West 4th Street and then moved away. And then Kenny, who I eventually married. That's Kenny as in Kenneth Lonergan, the Oscar-winning writer and director. They've been married for over two decades. play, The Waverly Gallery. Uh Uh-huh. And so we lived there um, for, I don't know, a long, long time, you know, uh-huh. and we recently moved down to Soho, but still basically the same zip code. So. And um, 
When you come into the Waverly Diner, like, is this a place that you have spent a lot of time? Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. My best friend, who passed away about three, going on four years ago, although it still seems like horribly fresh, um, his name's Kevin Gere, he's an actor, Uh and we were very close, and we would just kill time. I mean, it was, this is a little, I'm carrying with me a chapter from Uh James Joyce's uh uh um, Ulysses. Do you know what you want to order? Yeah. We can order, we can pause for a minute, and then we'll go back to Ulysses. (laughs) Oh, well, I don't have much to say um, hi, I'll have a chocolate egg cream. Chocolate egg cream, okay. I'd like an omelet. I'd like a peppers, onion, and feta omelet, please. Pepper and feta cheese, right? Yes, okay. yeah. Thank you. And egg cream, is this something you get? Well, um, <laughs> I do love an egg cream. Which I don't know why they call them. There's neither egg nor cream in it, as far as I understand. So what's in it? You know, we should Google it. Have uh-huh. you had one before? No, I think I should order one oh, to yeah. taste. I definitely yeah. think should. Although we do have another straw. That seems a little cozy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so you're carrying this around, oh, a chapter oh, of Ulysses. Yes. My point was about how he writes about um, Dublin. You know, he'll just, yeah. like this this thing, kind of wandering around yeah. and running into people and, and just losing a sense of time. Yeah. And like, so for actors, it's not, I don't have very much to say about Ulysses. Okay. okay. <laughs> except, except this chapter that I'm reading is sort of makes me think of, of how Kevin and I used to be. Because uh-huh. when we're between gigs and we're just auditioning, actors yeah. have a lot of time to fill without trying to fall into a desperate void yeah. Yeah. in your mind, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And Kevin was just this great, um, he was a little bit older than me and he, he had just, he had started like off-Broadway in the, era when that all that was really new and he knew all these people and had kind of he just had a fascinating life and he was one of these really observant people and his incredible memory so we would come in this diner and um you know nurse a cup of tea and a corn muffin uh-huh for many hours uh-huh and um um what did he die of I don't know. He, oh. I think some heart thing. He, I mean, oh, it was a sudden death. A sudden death. In his home, so. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Thank you. So are you carrying around this just for your own? Um, <laughs> is this, are you just, just reading? It just makes me look intellectual. Yeah. Yeah. No, my husband um, printed out this chapter for me because of something that uh, he's working on that this sort of somewhat inspired him. So is that like I'm thinking about this thing that's inspiring me, and I want you to read it so we can talk about it? Well, I I don't know. He he mentioned he mentioned it some time ago, and I said, oh, I want to read that chapter. And then just as a gift, he'd print it out for me. I don't think I was just curious. You expressed interest. Yeah, and And I I mean I could have just picked up the book, but he kindly yeah. That's a nice gesture. Very nice. Heard you were interested. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought I have um, after our talk, I have to go to the doctor, and I might have a waiting room wait. So. Uh thought this is a perfect uh-huh. thing to have with me. And when do you? When have you found that you get that itch that you're like, I, I'm going to go to the diner. I'm going to walk down and well, go to the diner. Well, I have diner. to tell you, too, that my daughter, who's, who's now 19, this was her favorite spot to meet uh-huh. friends from middle school on. Uh-huh. And so when she, you know, that time when kids began to do things without their parents and, you uh-huh. know, like, this was a place she could walk to. It was, you know, really popular for a place to go for a burger. And so I have also those associations. And when oh. she was younger than that, like picking her up after school and if she was starving and maybe with yeah. another mom and another kid coming in here, piling yeah. into a booth. And so I also have those associations. Um, 
I, it's interesting to, for me that like this has been a place where you sort of like it's you came of age like in this neighborhood yeah. you know yeah. and you've had a lot of different life phases both yes. in this physical place and yes. then walking these streets yeah. and um, it's like now I'm thinking about you sitting with Kevin and how that's sort of like it's like a it's a memory that can't happen anymore when yeah. your daughter was young and that's a memory that's that right. can't happen anymore and it's all sort of in, was in this space um, yeah. yeah exactly how many times have you been here since COVID? Um, I have been in here, like when I come in from Long Island, uh-huh. I usually do come here. Uh-huh. So I have, I don't know, they ask for the, well, all the restaurants here do that. Yeah. They ask to see your vaccine, yeah. you know, records, and um, I don't know, I feel safe here. What's your uh, routine like right now in this time of early fall in New York? Are you mostly in the city? Are you still going back to Long Island? Going back and forth um, a lot. We just bought a home out there. Uh Um, So, uh, but um, it's also pre-succession premiere. So Mm -hmm. I'm doing a lot of press for succession. So I have to be in a lot for for things like that. Uh Um, So, and also, you know, getting, Nellie's getting ready for school or or just whatever she needs or... Um, she's she's really doing it all herself. But just I mean, it's it's one thing to go off to college, but to go off to college in a foreign country yeah. is, a, after a pandemic, yeah, is I mean, yeah, this is something interesting. I don't know, it's, it's off topic maybe, but thank you. Nellie was a senior when the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. and in Nellie's case, she she didn't have her. I, mean, I don't know, even know if she was the type of kid who would go to the prom, but like yeah. they didn't get to have their prom or their graduation, yeah. or perform their spring play, or yeah. I mean, all these rites of passage, um, you know. And so, yeah. I think this really drives it home, doesn't it? Yeah. When you're when you have like for that initial lockdown, when we're all three together, in some ways it made us all closer. In other ways, you know, like probably every other family, we all wanted to kill each other. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so when we, what happened is after the first month or two of COVID, we rented out Long Island uh-huh. so that we'd have a little bit more space and have yeah. some outdoor space. Yeah. And that's when we started like letting Nellie, you know, she graduated uh-huh. high school and we started letting her have more alone time. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so that alleviated that. But at first, you know, we all had that cabin fever. Like, yeah. Yeah. The, what was the, uh, what were the rules for when you were on Long Island and your daughter was here in your apartment? <laughs> Did you have strict rules, rules? for her? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we could tell ourselves there were rules, but who knows what happened if these walls could speak kind of thing. I don't know. I mean, like, I'm sure it was party at Nellie's a yeah. lot, but the, the house is still standing. Okay, good. There's nothing broken that I know of. Um, there's maybe less vodka in the vodka bottle. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who did that. That might have been me. Um, but uh, no, she, she's been very adult and responsible. Uh-huh. And, you know, she has a nice friend group. Are you feeling, like, how are you feeling about this stage of motherhood? Do you feel like the year of of your daughter being here and beginning mm-hmm. school was sort of like like a drawn-out transition? Or does it yeah. feel like you were able to, did you get, like in denial about her leaving home. Like, how did well, it, a little it work both, out for you? Definitely yeah. in den- I'm sure I'm in denial about it. Yeah. But uh, it was a sort of practice for us to, you know, to sort of live apart a lot of the time. And, yeah. Um, I think, I'm not sure, I'm sure it will still, like, be a huge emotional slam when she's over there. And I don't, like, if she's like every other teenager who goes away to college, she will not be texting or calling uh-huh. particularly <laughs> unless she needs money or something. So I'm trying to, you know, wrap my head around that. Uh-huh. Um, but the other thing is, 
you know, um, my husband, we were in Italy filming from for Succession the last couple of episodes. And then um, my husband was, he was in Italy as a jurist in a, uh, uh-huh. or a president of a jury maybe for a film festival. Uh-huh. So he kind of just started like drifting around Italy uh-huh. and writing. So we were in Siena together, we were in Florence uh-huh. together, and um, briefly in the, out in the country in Tuscany together. Yeah. I thought I'd turn this off. Sorry. <laughs> That's a funny ringtone. It's bewitched. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, sorry about that. That's and my okay. text alert is the is Samantha's twitch. Oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I thought I'd turn it off. I guess I turned it on. Mm-hmm. So, that's bad. So you had this extended, and this was just, and your daughter was not there. So, or were you when you were in Italy with your husband? Yes, that's having right. this time working, and then you're meeting yeah. up in Europe, and he's working, and like. But he had this sort of what I was getting towards is that he had this sort of feeling like, oh, I, we could do this now because our daughter won't be uh-huh. in school in New York City. We don't yeah. have to be tied to the city, so there's really nothing to hold us here the same way that we have been bound here when we had a school-age child, you know? Uh-huh. That's sort of, I was I was assuming a kind of grief for you, and I also hear you saying, when you use the word bound, <laughs> there's an expansion that comes with this transition, too, for, yeah. like, for you both in your marriage. Yeah, I'm trying like, to think yeah. of it that way. Yeah. Coming up... How Jay's years of honing her craft in the theater have helped her on the set of Succession, and when she's had to let go of that entirely. We often feel like we weren't enough on Succession. Like, all of us often feel that. Like, and it's never true when you see the show, it's all, it, it, everyone seems good on it to, to my eye. But there's a lot of, like, you know, it's sort of like, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. There's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Forget it. It's, mm-hmm. it's succession. Mm-hmm. Like, it's messy, and yeah. that's one of its virtues. As a team, we've been talking a lot lately about bodies and our relationships, specifically about physical size and how it shapes our romantic lives. Our intern, Sarah Dealey, brought this up in a recent editorial meeting. And Sarah, I just wanted to talk with you a bit about where that idea came from for you. Why did you bring this up? Um, Hi, Anna. I have been thinking about this a lot. I am fat, and my girlfriend is not. And... I think that the fact that we have these differences has really impacted our relationship in a lot of interesting, complicated, and a lot of times really positive ways. And and for you all, is this something that you all speak openly about? That you have you named this difference between you two? Yes, definitely. And like the fact that we talk so much about how each other's bodies move through the world and are perceived by other people has just, I think, made it easier for us to go through other challenging things as a couple. So I want to hear from other people who have similar situations in their relationships. I'd love to hear from fat people who are in relationship with thin people, fat people in relationships with other fat people, just about how weight 
has impacted your intimate relationships and if it's like changed anything else about the relationship. And speaking of change, that's the other thing I'm interested in because, of course, our body sizes change over time, can change over time. So we also want to hear from people who maybe you or your partner has a different body size than you had when you first got together, when your relationship started. And I want to hear about how you figured out how to communicate about that or not. So that's what we're collecting, stories about body size and your romantic relationships, how you've talked about it and how you've not talked about it. You can record a voice memo or write an email and send it to us at deathsexmoney at WNYC.org. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks. I'm excited to look through the inbox. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. When Succession premiered in 2018, Jay Smith Cameron was not expecting it to be a hit. She wasn't even expecting to be a series regular. Her role as Jerry, the general counsel, was originally written for a man. But Jerry became a fan favorite, especially after an unexpected twist last season. Her relationship with Roman, the much younger son of her uber-wealthy employer, turned a little bit spicy. Roman is played by Kieran Culkin. You're acting like an overexcited little boy. You know, technically, I'm your fucking boss. Go to bed, Roman. Go to bed and masturbate all your ideas out. And let's see how excited you feel tomorrow. Well, maybe. Maybe I will. I mean, maybe I'll just leave you on the pillow so you can hear my brilliance cascading. Fine. I've heard plenty worse than a spoiled brat ejaculating on himself. Oh, yeah? I've known Kieran Culkin since he was really young. Yeah. We, we were in a play together. We were yeah. in Margaret together. He's been in other Kenny shows. Um, and I don't... He's sort of still 20-something in my mind, uh-huh. and yet he's also my age uh-huh. in my mind. Uh-huh. And, uh, of course, he's neither of those things. So uh-huh. um, he's an example of, like... I, I don't know, maybe it has to do with being an actor or being friends with other actors, that they're kind of ageless. Yeah. Um, my my idea of your career has been that you have had a full life of performing and being exposed to interesting creative people, but succession has catapulted your public image and your face into broader consciousness. You might be... Are you experiencing a loss of privacy uh, since succession in a way that you... Have well, an experience before? Not that much because really COVID. Um, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> Nobody was around. Of, yeah, and you. then and now when we're out and about, we have a mask on, and yeah. I don't I don't actually look that much like Jerry. I mean, I'm uh-huh. dressed like Jerry. Uh-huh. I don't particularly look like Jerry. Once in a while, someone will be like, "Is it you?" Like, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, it, it's a little surreal. Uh-huh. But it's a little. I I don't quite have the sense of that like uh-huh. I don't I have to remind myself that that's the uh-huh. case so what's incredible about succession is that it, you have to think and, and pay you know keep up it's very yeah. plotty but it's also yeah. all the characters <laughs> struggles are sort of layered in and yeah. you, you kind of the audience has a kind of work to keep yeah. up with it and I think that makes that's a secret uh, sauce for something to be successful but the formula for TV is like, no, make everything accessible and everybody, yeah. you know, and, you know, all the leads have to look like models. And yeah, all, you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. and so, and I don't think people actually like that. I think yeah. they like things to be interesting and, and uh, you know, have nooks and crannies to them. So 
did, did the way that you, I, I've, I've seen you reference um, people watching as a, something that's informed the way you think of performance and acting. Definitely. And like, did you notice the sort of closing off of access to public, you yes. know, and then the reopening? Like, are you super sensitive to it now because you haven't had that input for a while just as a... As a I working still feel person? like we don't quite have it yeah. because of the masking and the yeah. social distancing. Um, and I'm not going out to see things as much. Like, yeah. I'm happy that some of my friends are getting to do plays again, but I don't even know if I'm... I'm nervous about going into a theater mm-hmm. and watching for that long, yeah. even if the seats are spaced out and yeah. everyone's vaccinated and so forth. I'm still a little wary of it, to be frank. Uh-huh. And Kenny's very wary of it. He, he has an elderly uh, stepdad who he's protective of so he just does not want to uh-huh. carry COVID into that household when he goes to see him and uh-huh. you know uh, so I still feel like there's a dearth of that but yeah you're right I'm really into that I feel like that's a huge um, that observing people uh-huh. uh, is a huge boon for actors or writers like I used to love the subway for that yeah because you just sit there and like somehow there's this pact where everyone sort of behaves like they're Alone, yeah, not being. Like they attention. can't be seen, yeah. you know, yeah. as if they're all in little private, invisible booths. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, is there's a just an accepted convention that yeah. you're sort of privately sitting there. So if you if someone catches you staring at them, studying them, it's very upsetting to that person. <laughs> but I, I I do like that. I really, and you know, I've been. Um, I really want to take this class that Linda Berry. Do you know who Linda Berry is? She's a cartoonist, I don't think so. writer, okay. and she's fantastically gifted um very funny and she teaches a class and she has i think she i want to say she has a blog or something she's on instagram you can follow mm-hmm. instagram uh the nearsighted monkey is okay okay <laughs> and she has but you can see online some of she teaches what must be this incredible course but some of her uh her syllabus um is online or you can see it in some of her books and one of her assignments that she has all her students do is uh, a diary from the, you try to remember, you time yourself, so you only have a couple minutes, everything you remember from yesterday, and then a separate task, another two minutes, just everything you remember seeing, every oh. visual image you saw. Mm. And then uh, and then I saw the same exercise in another place where she had added onto it something, one thing you overheard. Mm. And then eventually you make a little sketch of yeah. the thing that was overheard, but you put yourself in the drawing. Yeah. So... And you don't have to be, you know, it's not, it's, you have a minute or two to draw. It's nothing to get self-conscious about. You just try to get, make your point. Yeah. And it's the thing you witnessed, but also your reaction. Uh Uh So it's, I don't always, I'm not as disciplined. Like she would drum me out of that class in no time because she, apparently you can't be late or you Uh can be late once or something. She kicks you out. (laughs) So I can't even, you know, do the diary every day, but. Um, I aspire to that. That idea of, of like having a, a, a sort of method for forcing yeah. yourself to be observant yes. and to capture it. Uh-huh. If you can train yourself to be observant, you will never be bored. Uh-huh. You will never, I mean, it's, it's a great tonic for an artist because it keeps you from being sentimental because people mm. behave admirably and, and embarrassingly all uh-huh. the time. You know, like people are human. And if, the more you witness real people being real, and that's why I think my taste for acting and writing, I, I like realistic Messy. stuff because yeah. I think it traps you into getting more deeply involved. There's less of a barrier between what you're watching and, yeah. and yourself. Like you're, you're not, 
if, if something's so real that you forget you're watching artifice yeah. or if it's so familiar to you, if it's so, you know, that, that's so um, engaging. Like that's when you yeah. kind of step in the trap of it and you get caught in, up in it. I think that's everything for me. I love that. I, I just love how you said it's a tonic for artists because it keeps you from being becoming sentimental yeah. that like becoming sem- sentimental is this hazard yeah. <laughs> for artists. Well, don't you think? I mean, that one of many, yeah. you know. Yeah. But. No, I love that. It's like, no, 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 though no, you're over-emoting. Like, yeah. you got to complicate this. just look this. how real people yeah. behave in situations. Yeah. It always surprises you even though you see it every day of your life. Like, yeah. there's an apocryphal acting story. I don't know who it's supposed to be, who the teacher's supposed to be, but um, this famous, so, supposedly a famous acting teacher had uh, written out a transcript of a everyday family having dinner. And they have, you know, a discussion about, like, all kinds of banal everyday things, yeah. and they out past the pepper, or I like, you know, I like the way the casserole turned out, or whatever. Yeah. So she wrote this out, or he wrote this out verbatim, divided up his class into family casts, assigned it, and then they performed them, and apparently the story goes that, you know, uh, cast after cast, knocked themselves out, being, you know, muttering, and being boring and um, throwing everything away and the things that were banal being really, you know, yeah. boring. And Flat. then he, at the yeah. end of the whole thing, he played the recording that he'd taken uh-huh. the transcript. And it was like, oh, my God, can you believe the price of tomatoes? And like, uh, oh, my God, did you see her, how much she's grown? Like, you know, people were far more dramatic and yeah. animated. But they were real. Yeah. They were the real people. They weren't performing. And the content of their words didn't contain at all how they were expressing care for one another and interest. Yes, like, and it was just like, yeah. Like, yeah. I so, like that. I mean, that's just a good, it's not always true for every scene, but, yeah. you know, that's kind of a, a good cautionary tale, uh-huh. I think. And I, I just think that's a good guide. Like, when I'm stuck, I'm like, well, what would you do? And so, you know, instead of thinking, well, I'm, I'm not really, um, you know, a, a lawyer and I'm not really a business, I don't know anything much about business at all. And, Etc. You know, etc. But just the situation, like so. How, like for instance, in Succession, mm-hmm. when the storyline between Jerry and Roman began, mm-hmm. I really had no idea how Jerry would feel about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a few ideas, but it was so perplexing. And then it just dawned on me that that's perfect. That that would be perplexing for her too. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that that is always going to be more interesting. Is what would a real person do? It's like yeah. a good place to start, rather than deciding that she was a dominatrix yeah. or that she was going to seduce him by or it, that she was going to be thrown. Yeah, like, uh-huh. um, and that's, you know, pretty much always true, I think. I mean, for my tastes, mm-hmm. let's say that. Um, I have, I I'm, I'm, want to go back to, to where we started with thinking about your conversations with Kevin. Yeah. When, when you think about that time of your life when you're learning how to deal with downtime and uncertainty um, and the, like, as you're, you're in this moment of transition in your own family life right now, like, I'm thinking that a lot of us, as you were describing, are in that, like, start and stop and what's going to happen and an inability to, to sort of see concretely what the future is going to be in two months or four months. And, yeah. And, um, which what is always true for actors. Yeah. So, do. like, what have you learned when you feel that creeping sense of, like, anxiety? Anxiety. Yeah. Um, do you have any practices or things that you try to tell yourself? Um, well, that remains a, um, you know, a big uh, occupational hazard for people in my business. Like, yeah. that is a really tricky 
thing. I don't know if there is probably in living. And and, and for everyone, right. But it's just sort of very patently obvious for Mm -hmm. performers. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess, you know, I mean, the real truth of it is it's only always this moment. That's I know that's a big philosophical idea too, but it really is true that if you're just in the present, there there's no uh, remorse or longing for the past or fear of the future. It's just you're so it's impossible to do. But that's also a big acting, famous acting, mm-hmm. you know, um, dictum is mm-hmm. to be in the moment and be mm-hmm. present. And if you try to um, practice that as a kind of mindfulness or just as an acting exercise, just being in the moment. When I'm nervous about remembering my lines, which happens a lot, or like, or nervous about any, anything on set, but I get nervous as a performer yeah. a lot about mm-hmm. all kinds of things. If I just put my focus on my partner, mm-hmm. even if it's, I'm just watching how often they blink or what, mm-hmm. you know, are mm-hmm. they preoccupied mm-hmm. about something? Or why does he keep looking over there? Like, you know, just, so it's the observation exercise mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. in another, in another mm-hmm. guise, really. Mm-hmm. That's what I strive for, is yeah. to just try to be occupied fully with what I'm doing now and like Kenny Kenny one of Kenny's first first jobs apparently like way before I knew him before he was a famous writer he uh, before he was a writer at all um, he was a bartender for a while mm-hmm. but you know he said the thing that someone taught him about being a bartender is to do one task at a time mm-hmm. which is for a bartender always being invaded and like something yeah. gets spilled over someone shouts out a drink order somebody yeah send something back right in the middle or a waitress needs to get by or whatever and he said you just have to make yourself finish the thing you were doing and then go okay now and Mm -hmm. and that's just sounds so obvious Mm -hmm. but I yeah Mm -hmm. and it's not only is that myth of multitasking um Mm -hmm. a demon to avoid I think to expect that of yourself but it also can be a cure for the blues or for anxiety I think Mm -hmm. to just fully you know um, throw yourself into but I mean easier said than done sometimes I'm not like some mm-hmm. great master at it by any means I have um, one last question I am just curious uh, you said you your, your place on Long Island is new and when you think about you know, having had this very full stimulating active crowded life in this part of New York City when you think about what you're looking forward to in that space and ha- like what what seems really exciting about getting to spend more time there is there like a hobby that you're interested in or I do I swim uh-huh. a lot during the warm weather and um, there's the ocean there's the bay and there's swimming pools out there uh-huh. so uh, that is the obvious easy answer but also it's you know I mean it's in the Hamptons and the Hamptons are really now a suburb yeah but it doesn't feel uncrowded. It doesn't, but it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. it's still filled with natural beauty. Like it's yeah. a very beautiful, lush place. Yeah. And, you know, like my husband grew up in a city and mm-hmm. he is, he would love to just leave it all behind. Like he is, it's so funny. Like, and I am the person, I think the, you know, you know that famous E.B. White um, essay yeah. Yeah. about New York yeah. and about the, the people, the three basic people types that make yeah. up New Yorkers. And the, but the people that migrated here, um, the writer with the manuscript in his newspaper or the, yeah. the spinster who, who wants to kind of seeking anonymity or whatever, yeah. remember? Yeah, thank you. That um, those are the, that's the quotient of the population yeah. that give New York its energy and 
uh, light and hunger. You know, yes, yeah. the, the beat of it. Um, so, um, I think among my friends, like Kevin was definitely someone who migrated here. And uh-huh. if you're an actor or any artist or in any creative type position and you come to New York, just that action alone is a huge achievement. Yeah. It's so bold. It's so brave to do it. And it's a, it's a heroic journey. Like you've, yeah. you've done that and you know in the back of your mind that you did that's a big rite of passage that native New Yorkers don't get to, don't get to feel that, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. So it's a weird, it's hard, and you feel lost, and you don't know if you'll ever belong there or may have a niche. Yeah. But it's a great uh, benefit. You know, it's a great blessing to have in the end to have, because that alone, like anything else is gravy. Like, I, I, I came here. That is Jay Smith Cameron at the Waverly Diner in the West Village. You can see her on the latest season of Succession, which just started on HBO. Thank you. To be continued. Yes. That's all I think. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Oops. Take care. Okay. Beth, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by Annabelle Bacon. The rest of our team includes Katie Bishop, Afi Yellow-Duke, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. Our intern is Sarah Dealey. The Reverend John Delure and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Instagram, at AnnaSalePix, that's P-I-C-S, and the show is at Death, Sex, Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you to Sarah Dacey in Austin, Texas, who is a sustaining member of Death, Sex, and Money. Join Sarah and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. And for the record, before we left, Jay and I did Google the ingredients of an egg cream. It's three tablespoons of chocolate syrup mixed together with a quarter cup of milk. You beat that together while adding club soda to fill up the glass. Add a straw and serve cold. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC.